Hello, I'm John Chambers, and I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Chambers Talks, my bi-monthly LinkedIn podcast. It's a chance for us really to discuss about major technology disruption as every company becomes a digital company, regardless of which industry you're in, whether it's healthcare or manufacturing or government or service <coughs> provider, entertainment, et cetera. And when we started talking about a decade ago about every country even becoming digital, I think few people realized how much a role technology would play in making these transitions. It is a period of time where you either disrupt or you get disrupted. Uh, it's going to be a period of time of tremendous innovation enabled by new technologies such as AI and Internet of Things and the cybersecurity, uh, entirely new vehicles in terms of going to market. Uh, each time we do this, I have the honor of imposing on a friendship for somebody that I know that has been amazing in my opinion and in the world's opinion of innovation. Uh, I don't think there is any company in the transition uh, large category of traditionally what might have been called service providers, but really is an entertainment organization, a organization that brings an entirely different customer experience to their both enterprise and to their uh, consumer than Comcast. Uh, Tony, I was just looking at, at your background and I've forgotten how you've been at Comcast since 2006, but you also put in place a continuous innovation engine and Comcast has reinvented itself again and again. And how you do that is something I think we'd love to probe into. Uh, you've had experience not just to Comcast, but also at uh, Liberty Global, uh, Quest Communications, Roger Communications, etc. And you won uh, the Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award, which is quite a, a compliment for any, uh, uh, any leader in uh, business or technology today. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Our topics uh, will cover for the benefit of the audience, Comcast's continuous approach to innovation, uh, how we empower partnerships and, and what technology innovation might occur with large companies and smaller companies working together, what makes that work, how important is culture in terms of each of our development, uh, and then personal leadership lessons learned, because you've, you've been through tremendous transition with tremendous success, but are we a product as much of our successes as our setbacks? So with that, Tony, thank you once again for joining us. Listen, John, uh, you said you're honored. I'm honored. And I appreciate, uh, appreciate your friendship. I appreciate everything you uh, did for our industry while at Cisco. And I appreciate immensely uh, what you're doing currently with, uh, with the startups that you are uh, working with so closely. So thank you for having me. Uh, this should be a lot of fun. I'm sure it will be. Uh, and I owe you one, Tony. Uh, it's very, very kind. Uh, when you look at it, Comcast has reinvented itself, in my opinion, better than any of your peers on a global basis. Moving a long time ago, just away from tran transport, to really how you bring benefits to your consumers and to your enterprise and commercial customers. How do you, re how do you create a culture of constant reinvention? How difficult is it to occur? Because when I see large companies, most of them really stumble on this, and very few of them stay in a leadership role for more than a decade. Well, you know, two or three things. First of all, I was, uh, in, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate to work for great companies. And uh, that's probably been one of the keys to my personal success is uh, 
hitching my wagon to the uh, to the right team. And I tell you what, Comcast has been brilliant, and they had a very uh, a very unique culture uh, long before I joined them. And you know, it goes uh, goes really back all the way to Ralph, and then Brian, of course, uh, and and the entire senior leadership. But Ralph uh, instilled early. Brian's kept it on, and so has several of the other leaders. That we want uh, our employees to be owners, not renters, and you know that I think is uh, is fairly clear what we mean there. But we want people to make their own decisions. We want people to, you know, look at things through the lens as if they were an owner, and what decision you would make as you go. And I think that's powerful. But then, as we came in with uh, with really moving from being a, a company who bought all our technology to we set an aspiration that we wanted to become a net exporter of technology, meaning that we would be sending more technology out than what we would be acquiring from other companies. So we um, really started embarking on software. And as we got into the world of software and got the support of Brian Roberts and the senior leadership to do it, it brought on a whole bunch of other things uh, that we had to learn and, uh, and have done uh, fairly successfully. But back to kind of one of your openings, um, you, you know, it's not just building a software platform. It's not just hiring smart people. Building the culture that really is your internal operating system as to how you do things uh, is probably one that's the hardest, takes the longest, um, but is also your biggest uh, competitive differentiator. You know, I'm going to uh, change a little bit some of the areas we talked about, Tony, in terms of sequencing and jump straight to culture, because very often people look at the technology implementation as how do you use technology to change outcomes. But culture plays a huge role in a company's ability to do that. How do you keep that culture advancing and, and how do you avoid the pitfalls of what most companies do, which is once you get successful, don't change, keep doing the right thing too long and not disrupt yourself. How difficult a hurdle is that? And, and if you can share with people the challenges you think the listeners have to go through to make that happen in their own companies and to feel okay with uh, uh, change, uh, not being a disruptor in a negative way, but a positive way. Well, you, you've uh, you've got a lot of questions rolled up in there, so let me uh, <laughs> let me let me hit a couple, and then because uh, I do, uh, they're also important, and they're ones that I think about a lot. And so let's uh, let's go a little bit into um, uh, how do you you know what is the culture you develop, and how do you develop it? We uh, we acquire between one and two startup companies a year. And so later we'll come back and talk. We love startups, we love their energy. And uh, every once in a while they become so important to us uh, that we actually will uh, purchase the company. And when we do that, the number one thing that we are purchasing is the intellectual property that's between uh, everybody's ears. It's not, uh, it's not great technology often, well, often it is, but really it's so important that you keep that team. And, uh, and we go out of our way to do that. And part of that is, is we do believe in microcultures 
inside of the overall culture umbrella, meaning that we've got an overall culture and, uh, and you can't have people that are orthogonal to that culture. But at the same time, the culture of a uh, fast moving software company that we've picked up in um, San Jose, for example, is different than a hardware company uh, that we pick up, you know, from a different part. They've, they're looking for different people. They operate slightly different. And we like to allow that. We, people keep their, we keep logos inside the company. Some of these are created from teams and, and we very much believe in that. And then we also push a lot of autonomy down. You know, we like to have the decisions made uh, where the uh, knowledge and the judgment exists. And usually that's at some of these levels. And then we've architected the, our, our company around that. So if you look at our platform, it is all microservice based. And these microservices are ran by teams and the teams have a lot of latitude on what they do with these services. Uh, they've also got guidelines what they can't do. They can't deprecate them. They can't do things that uh, uh, are going to you know, make the performance worse, things of that nature. But it's so important that you have it in that manner. And the other thing that I learned, especially as we went to the microservices architecture is you end up with uh, you know, these tightly coupled, highly complex systems all working in unison uh, to create an outcome. So often a single key click on an X1 remote will target, you know, will trigger 30 to 40 services. And a problem in any one of those services can create an overall problem. And when you, you get an issue, it's, it's literally like trying to solve a murder mystery. And if the people in the, that are running those services are worried that, oh my gosh, if I fess up that I did something, I'm going to lose my job, they don't fess up. And, and it takes forever to find the problem. So we've went to uh, 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 basically a zero guilt uh, approach. I mean, unless basically you're drinking on the job and you did something, we, we do not persecute. We go through this. And as that, we have a very open environment where people uh, keep people come forward. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer to uh, to a short question, but I, I wanted to get some of that out. Tony, we share many values uh, in terms of our approach to business and the companies we've been involved with, but Comcast has done an amazing job in terms of focused on diversity and inclusion, uh, making everyone feel a part of it, both the employees, but also your customers. How do you keep that front and center and how do you articulate it uh, to the people within your organization? Well, you know, it's interesting. Comcast uh, has been so committed to this uh, area long before I joined the company, uh, but we have actually done it almost out of necessity. I need the absolute best talent that I can get. We have to develop the best products that we possibly can. And our customers are diverse and becoming even more diverse. So we want diverse development teams. And we find that if we got teams that have got good diversity within them, we actually have lower security errors. We have lower numbers of software bugs and we have products uh, that go to the market better. And, and when you look at the market, a lot of people don't realize it, but women are much earlier adopter of new technology 
than men, okay? And so you've got to have women on your development team. Same goes across all forms of ethnicity. They, different people use products differently and you've got to have that front and center as you're developing these products. So for us, it's absolutely key. And then inside, we also find that our employee MPS is higher on the teams that have great diversity. And this goes both from the diverse uh, members of those teams and the non-diverse members. So for us, nothing could be more important uh, as we go forward. It's not just the right thing to do. Uh, for me, it's good business and it's a way to acquire great talent. Well, you know, it's exciting because so much of innovation will happen from startups and uh, large companies who are innovative will learn how to both do their own innovation, but really make it work with the startups. You, you hit several of the items, but if I can maybe take us down one level uh, deeper, uh, it is an art to work with the startups, whether you do it in a partnership role or an acquisition or a transition type of role uh, for it. You know, I did 180 acquisitions at Cisco. I think most people would say uh, that we were probably the industry leader on how to do them right. And it was what you said, all about retaining people and getting the people to fit into the culture uh, of your company it's acquiring. But if you were to say to the audience listening today, whether they're part of a large company or part of a, a startup company, what are the two or three things true partnerships work between large companies, i.e. Comcast, and a smaller company, whether it's in a transactional, a strategic, or an acquisition row? And then what are the two or three mistakes that perhaps uh, you've seen people make? And I really want to state it for the audience. Uh, you are, are the best in your industry at doing this, working with startups. And I know how hard it is on both sides. So maybe lessons learned, both positive and constructive, uh, not mistakes not to make. Yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, often, not always, I mean, <clears throat> you know, everything is a little different, uh, but often startups are packed full of young, new entrepreneurs. And, uh, and so that's the good news because they got lots of energy. Uh, they've not been disillusioned uh, on things and, and it's great. But at the same time, it's so important <clears throat> that uh, we as a big company are honest with the startups and we try very much to be. Um, and we try to make sure they understand our position, where we're coming from, why or why not we're interested in what they're doing um, as we go forward. Because one of the things that you, and I'm sure you've heard this uh, when you're talking to some of yours, they'll say, oh gosh, we just had a super good meeting with company X was really good and the CTO came in and all this. And I often tell them, sometimes you'll have 50 or 60 meetings like that before you learn that they are gonna do something or before you learn that they're not interested. And so it's so important that you can uh, read that. And then as a big company, <clears throat> for us, um, we've got a motto that uh, on, on everything uh, we, we, if we're going to disappoint somebody, we'd, we'd rather disappoint them early than later. So if a company comes in and we think that on a scale of one to 10, it's a two, don't let them think that, don't be kind and let them think that you think it's an eight because they're going to go off and think, oh my gosh, we should put all kind of effort and this uh, big shot there mentioned changing the color to this and doing that. Let's do that. 
and they'll invest so much time and effort into it. So one of the things that we try and do, and it's hard, but we try and be very honest in the front end, uh, sincerely honest that, hey, this here could be a home run for us, or just because of where we're at or other things, um, you know, we probably don't see a path to doing any material business with you. But doing that early rather than leading either each of us along, I think is important. I think it's hugely important. You know, the, the thing that I ask uh, of your team, and they're great at it, uh, is just tell us if there's traction or not. And do you view it as strategic or tactical? And it's much better to get a quick no and to focus somewhere else uh, than the other side. And that applies both to the startup and to the bigger companies. You know, it's amazing, Tony. I had five questions. You answered all five of them, and yet you weaved them together. Uh, I always like to ask when I have somebody that I really respect and has accomplished so much in life, what is one of the personal lessons that you could share with the audience that they might not have thought of that has allowed you to be successful, but also one that you think might apply to many of our our, uh, uh, viewers today? Well, that's uh, a good question. I guess I, I like to uh, I like to solve problems, and uh, and uh, you know I had somebody early on use the metaphor that companies will pay for aspirin and ibuprofen a lot more than they'll pay for vitamins, meaning that when all of a sudden you find yourself with a problem coming at you, having the ability to solve the problem for that company is, is huge, and so. It's been fortunate, you know, we came into Comcast uh, when I joined in late 06, early 07. Um, you know, we had at that time, I think 12 channels, maybe 16 channels of HD. And we recognized that that was a problem. And my team and I set out to solve that. And we did. We then seen a lot of other things coming same thing, issues that we knew were going to face us or were facing us. And if you can go after that and figure out how you solve them, uh, I think that is really the key in the largest uh, business world. And so when a startup shows up with a brand new idea that's interesting that we've never thought of, that's great. And we'll, you know, you'll, you'll ponder on it, you'll like it. When they come and they've got a unique simple, eloquent solution that solves a pain point that we've had for so long, you know, you want to jump out and hug them and bring them inside the the company and say, you know, you're going nowhere uh, because this has been just a vexing problem for us. And this is the most eloquent way of solving that I've ever seen. So I think that's a little bit. I agree. Uh, when you think about it, you said it earlier, when you acquire companies, and I could not agree more, you're really acquiring the people. And if you don't keep the people and get the next generation of product or experience uh, as a result, the acquisition is filled in many ways. Uh, I, when we think about successful startups, they attract the best talent. Comcast had always attracted the best talent. Uh, you know, this is a LinkedIn podcast. Many of the people listening might be thinking about changing goals uh, or uh, jobs. When you think about it yourself, what do you present to people who are thinking about joining Comcast and becoming part of your employee family? 
What is unique about Comcast and why is this a place they ought to think about uh, working in the future? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I got three, four, five thoughts uh, along, uh, along those lines. I mean, our strategy has been for going way back uh, to shortly after I started and in talking with Neil Smith at the time is really been a three-part strategy and it's invest in people, it's invest in platforms and it's invest in culture. And so people, it's easy to say, we want the best, the brightest, we're gonna pay well, we're gonna have good benefits. We're gonna have the, the usual perks, whether it's cappuccino machines, ping pong tables, that stuff. But that isn't what excites people. When, when you can say, listen, come here and you can help us build the next generation cloud-based video platform that's gonna power you know, between 20 and 100 million uh, customers that you can develop software and products on <clears throat> that your family will see within 30 days of joining the company that's where you get power. And so you have to be willing to make the big capital investments into platforms uh, that the people can work on and that the people can be part of on it. I think having the mission there is so incredibly important. And then the culture, we really do, we've got several elements that we try to live by and, uh, and we self-reflect a lot. And that is that uh, we try not to take our, we take what we do very seriously. We try not to take ourselves seriously. Um, and, uh, and we think that's so important uh, in there. We don't wanna have hubris at all. We like to stay worrying about the competitors. We like to stay worrying about things. We like that. And I think that's absolutely key. We, people, we allow people again to make decisions <clears throat> at the level where their knowledge and judgment exists. And so you're not, you're not, we're not a hierarchical. And that's part of our culture is the culture is, I called it an operating system. It really is. People understand from the culture, how they get things done when there's a crisis, who they call, how they come together, how you respond, how you go after goals together and the, and the rest of it. And I think all of that, is just absolutely critical. And then when we're looking for people that come in, I always look for cultural fits, but not cultural clones. We want diversity. We want people that think a little different, um, but yet that are going to come in and, uh, and also fit in and aspire to the same things that we do. And uh, so far it's been great, but it's, it, it's something that you can never stop on. Because again, our competitors and the people looking for the great talent are doing great things as well um, on it. But uh, we are trying to do everything we can possibly to get the best and the brightest and to keep them happy and to grow them and to promote them. I can't think of a better way to end it, Tony. It, it's people, platforms, and culture. Uh, you do an amazing job leading within your organization, but it's so deep into the fabric of Comcast. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. And for the listeners, if you agree with everything uh, Tony and I have covered today, we haven't done our job. We want to make you a little bit uncomfortable, but we really want to share with you lessons learned and what makes individuals, leaders, companies successful, and perhaps what are the mistakes that you'll want to avoid in your career as well, as well as to leverage for the future. 
Tony, thank you once again for joining us. John, thank you for having me. And I cannot wait until hopefully I can see you in person again. It shouldn't be too long. It shouldn't be, Tony. Thank you, your team, too. They're an amazing team to work with. Great I, partners. Yeah, no, I, uh, it's all about my team. And they, uh, they do 90%, if not 100% of the heavy lifting right now. And I just try and stay out of their way. So <laughs> it's a good time for your team who's listening to this to remind Tony of that and ask for a raise. <laughs> I'm here to help, Tony. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.